This morning, I love to point out different little things I've seen God do, and this morning is really cool. So this morning, we're going to be jumping into the book of Nehemiah, and if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn there if you want to follow along. And what's really cool, and this is not planned whatsoever, but right now, your kids and bluff kids, they're studying Nehemiah today as well. And I'm like, that is so cool how God kind of orchestrated that, so that way, parents, when you leave here, make sure you ask your kids, hey, what'd you guys learn in bluff kids? What'd you guys talk about? Oh, you talked about this guy named Nehemiah? So did we. What did you guys learn about? I'm like, first off, you guys should be doing that anyways. But this is a great opportunity where you can compare notes, right? And you could probably be like, man, I wish I was in the bluff kids service more than this one right now, right? <laughs> So, hey, let me go ahead and as we dive into our service, let me go ahead and say something. I, as a kid, love to build things. Like anything I can get my hands on, I wanted to put things together and build something. It didn't matter if it was Lincoln Logs or Legos or when I got a little bit older and all the boys in the neighborhood, we went to the woods behind my house and we built this fort and we had a rule like no girls allowed because, you know, boys rule and girls drool, right? And so this is, we, we had this early on, I noticed, I had this passion that I wanted to build something. And as I've gotten older and now I'm a husband and father, you know, I look at my house and our property and I, I have these dreams of things I want to build uh, for my daughter and any future children we might have. And I know this is true in some degree for all of us. Now, I'm not saying you have desire to build something for my daughter. No, I'm saying you all have the same desire that you want to build something. And I don't mean like go build a house. But you might want to build something with your life. See, I think ingrained in each one of us is the desire that we want to create something. We want to have something that, that we can point to and be proud of, that we've invested time and energy and resources in, whether it's a toy, whether it's a baked good, whether it's a business, whether it's something we can just proudly point to and have our name be put upon it. That desire is within each and every one of us. And psychologists have started to research this, and they've come out with these reports I've been reading lately, that the desire to build something is a good thing. That we need this to be mentally and emotionally healthy, that we're created in such a way where we want to create more in this world. And it's funny that psychologists and science is just now getting this point, because thousands of years ago, when the Bible was written, it said this already from the very beginning, you open up the book of Genesis, and right in the beginning, you see that God is a creator, and then he makes us in his own image. So from the very beginning, the Bible's been saying there's something a part of us that wants to do what God does, and God creates. And so we've been in this long series right now for the past few months, looking at this God and what he wants to build and create in this world. And it started out where he made this beautiful, perfect world, and then what, humanity messed up, right? We got in trouble. We did some things we shouldn't have done. Everything kind of broke and fell apart. And so we've been in this long series looking at how God is on a greater building project right now where he wants to build a new humanity, a new family around himself that will listen to him, that will love him, that will trust him. And I don't know about you, but as we've been in this series, you probably have thought the same thing as I thought. Man, it would be easier if God had just wiped the slate clean and just started all over because this is a really difficult task. It seems like every time God takes a step forward, he's having to take a step back with his people, right? Because the people that God invites to be part of this new thing that he's building are troublemakers, right? 
Like they constantly are making trouble for themselves and for others because they choose to be selfish, they choose to be greedy, they're full of lust and they're just craving after power in their life. And so they find themselves oftentimes making trouble and a mess for themselves and for others, right? And what we've seen is even though God constantly was saying, hey guys, you need to stop this, hey guys, you need to do better, they eventually find themselves in so much trouble that they were exiled, that they were removed from their home and their land. But what we've seen in the past couple weeks as we've been looking at how God's people are in exile, we've seen how God has not given up on his desire to build something beautiful in his people. That he's remained faithful to them, that he's stuck with them even in the mess that they made. I mean, there's something encouraging that when we look at our own lives, right? That sometimes, let's just be honest, sometimes we're troublemakers, right? We're troublemakers for ourselves or for others. And it's encouraging to know. You can look at Scripture and you see, well, you know, God didn't give up on those people. Maybe he's not giving up on me either. And here's this God who not only has not given up, but he's promised that he's going to restore them, that he still wants to build something beautiful in their lives. And that's part of what the beauty of the book of Nehemiah is all about. When we are introduced to the book of Nehemiah, we're introduced right in the beginning to this Jew who is part of the people of God in this point in history. And he is a special role. He's, he's part of uh, the cupbearer um, or the, the guy who basically tastes the poison or te- I'm sorry, I'm struggling with my words this morning. His job was to test the food of the emperor to test, to taste, to test if it's poison. That's hard. Taste, test, taste, test. I'm sorry, I'm struggling this morning. All right. Uh, maybe didn't get enough sleep last night with the baby. I don't know. Anyways, okay. So his job is to test the food for poison for the emperor. And he works in this responsibility. And one day he gets this report from his brother who lives out in Jerusalem. And his report is saying that the walls of Jerusalem still lie in ruins. And that's heartbreaking. Because the people of God at this point have been back in the land for close to a century. And yet it still lies in ruins. And so when Nehemiah hears this report, he has this reaction. We're told in chapter 1, verse 5, where he cries out to God. And here's what he says. He says, O Yahweh, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's like, God, I want to speak to you because you're a faithful God and I know you're going to hear me, right? Please be faithful to us. And here's what he goes on. He says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. He's begging for God's attention, right? To hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. So let me explain what's going on here. Nehemiah gets this report that the place where he's from still lies in ruins. And it's Jerusalem. And he's distraught about this because Jerusalem stood for something. Jerusalem was supposed to be a beacon of hope for everyone. And he's realizing it can't give hope to everyone if it lies in ruins. Like, when you're supposed to look at Jerusalem, you're supposed to be like, that's a place where I know God is going to love me, where God's going to accept me, where God wants me to be part of his family, right? And it's kind of hard to give that message across when you look at it and it's just a pile of bricks. 
That's the condition that it's in. And he's distraught by this. Now, he doesn't do what most people do when they hear a problem like this, right? Like, let's be honest. Most people, when they hear a big problem, what do we do? We complain about it. Like, oh, this is not fair. Or we're saying, this is because so-and-so has not stepped up and so and so is not doing their job and, and different things like that. And if someone would just, you know, get a fire under their butt, then they'd, you know, go out and fix this. And that's how we tend to look at problems, right? We tend to first complain and then try to throw it off on someone else. But that's not what Nehemiah does. He looks at this situation and then he starts confessing to God. Saying, God, I recognize that this situation is the way it is because I, as part of the people of God, have failed to be who we are meant to be. Let me ask you, when you are presented with a problem in your life, is your first reaction to complain about it? Is your first reaction to blame someone else? To look for someone else who's guilty or to pass off the problem to someone else? Or is your first response similar to Nehemiah? When you see a problem, and it doesn't matter where it's at, whether it's in your family, your work, your job, maybe even the church, is your first response to stop and just pray to God and say, God, I'm sorry for how I've been responsible for this problem. Show me if there's a way I need to change who I am to be part of the solution. And that's what Nehemiah does. He looks at this situation, and rather than just be like, mm, those people all the way out in Jerusalem, they need to get their, their stuff together. They need to go and fix this problem. That's not how he responds. Instead, he shows humility. He's like, God, I, this is a terrible situation. And I realize this situation is present because I have failed to be who I was meant to be. And so have my people. And God, if you will show mercy, will you let me be part of the solution? And so Nehemiah gets together a group of people who are all leaving from the capital of the empire that they're enslaved to, and they go out to Jerusalem with the goal to rebuild this place, this place of hope. Let me tell you, friends, we need more Nehemiahs in this world. It is easy to complain about a problem. It's easy to complain about it to a superior, to pass it off to someone else. That's easy. And we do it because it's comfortable but we need more Nehemiahs in the world. People who look at the problem, respond to it with humility, and then to ask themselves, how can I be part of the solution in this moment? And that's not our base way of operating because it's uncomfortable. And if there's anything we know about human nature, it's that we will naturally drift towards our comfort, our laziness, and our immaturity. But the God we worship is a wild God. And he calls us to step away from our comfort zone sometimes, to trust him, to take a step in faith and towards him. And that's uncomfortable. But in those spaces, God is at work and God is doing something. And we grow more and more into who God wants us to be when we step away from our comfort zones and step into the uncomfortable unknown of what God might be calling us to do. Nehemiah's He's been speaking with God, and God has laid this vision on his heart, and it's uncomfortable for him because he's got a nice, cushy job. He's a friend with the emperor. He can have anything he wants, and he's choosing to leave everything behind to follow in what God wants him to do, to do this radical work of seeing hope spread out. And so Nehemiah goes out and does it. And he goes and he looks and surveys the land of all the work that needs to be done, and then he gathers together all the elders of Israel, the people who should have been doing the work anyways, and he gathers them up together, and here's what he tells them. 
In Nehemiah chapter 2, he says, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the worries or words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. See, Nehemiah, in this moment, he's sharing with them. He's like, guys, this is a problem, but God has given me a vision to be part of the solution, and I want to invite you to be part of it. And they get inspired. They're like, yes, let's make a difference. Let's not just sit here and grumble about this problem or try to ignore it or bury it or sweep it under the rug. Let's be people of change. Let's be people who are difference makers. And so they all rally together, and they get to work in this building project. Now, we know from observing everything we've been in through in this series, that every time God is at work in his people to build something beautiful, there's always opposition that rises. Because we live in a broken world, and this world does not want to see God's will on, on the earth. It does not want to see God move forward with his kingdom. And so it makes sense that when they make this step forward, obstacles start to arise. There are people who step forward trying to stop the project. They, they spread rumors even about Nehemiah. They, they try to accuse him of starting a rebellion. They, they try to, to stop him every turn. Even people who were on Nehemiah's side in the beginning eventually turn their backs on him and, and try to, to stop the work that Nehemiah started. But Nehemiah didn't stop. He kept his focus clear. He knew what God wanted him to do. And he remained on mission. And see, this is something important. When God calls us to a task, when God lays it on your heart saying, hey, I want you to go and do this. I want you to take the step of faith. When God does that, when God calls us to a task, we need to keep our eyes on God in the face of opposition. Because opposition will arise. And so we shouldn't be surprised by that. Ask yourself, has that ever happened to you? Where you've taken a step forward in faith in God? An opposition or an obstacle of some sort arises maybe internally, maybe with your own self-esteem, maybe something outside of you and this world around you. We shouldn't be surprised by this, but we should stay laser-focused on what God has for us. Now, when those moments come, how should we respond to them? Well, we should respond maybe how Nehemiah responds. See, in chapter 4, he has this moment where all these enemies are trying to stop what he knows God is trying to build. They're trying to attack him. And here's how Nehemiah responds to the enemy. Chapter 4, verse 4, he prays. And here's what he prays. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So let me explain that. Let me summarize it. Basically, Nehemiah saying, God, I want you to be clear. I want you to know, God, that this situation is going on. But God, I'm going to ask that you take care of it and allow us to continue to focus doing your work. A true leader leads like this. A true leader stays focused on his mission and lets God handle the opposition. And that's what we need to be doing as well. When we take a step forward and what God wants us to do, we should not insult back. We should not argue. We should not find ways to make ourselves an enemy with someone else. We should rather instead say laser focus on what God has for us. We continue following and trusting God. And we let God handle the opposition. We let God handle the obstacles. And we stay faithful to what God has called us to in the season that we are in. And that's what Nehemiah does. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't strike back. 
But he stays focused. Now, this angers the opposition because they're like, oh, he's ignoring us. We're going to make it even clearer. You know? We're going to find ways to stop this. So they actually attack the workers. So this building project goes into a situation where everyone who's working is armed for battle at the same time. And they're constantly on alert to see, you know, is the enemy about to pop out of the bushes and attack us as they're building, right? Like, talk about terrible working conditions where you're like, I'm working to build what God wants me to build, and I'm worried at the same time that I might not go home to my family at night. But that's the situation they're in. And in this, the people still did not lose the vision. They still had trust and hope in what God was doing. They're, they're rallying behind this vision. So the people gave, they served, they, they prayed, they looked for every opportunity to continue to move where God wanted them to move. And here's what we're told happens because of this. In chapter 6, we are told that the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu in 52 days. So this massive wall that goes around this huge city was built in a record-breaking time of 52 days. Because they stayed laser-focused on their vision. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all of the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So they completed this massive project in record time because the people saw the vision of what God wanted to build in them and through them, and they remained focused on it. They didn't let themselves get distracted. They didn't let themselves get pulled away. They didn't let themselves stop in the face of obstacles and opposition. No, they stayed true to what they knew God wanted for their lives. They gave, they served, they prayed. And in the end, they got to reap the reward of seeing God do something beautiful in their midst. And this is really what the book of Nehemiah is all about. There's more in the story of Nehemiah, but this is what it's famous for, as it shares with us how God has worked in his people. And I think it has a powerful truth to our day in our situation today. It's the truth that God builds beautiful things when his people come together around his vision. God builds beautiful things when his people come together around his vision. We see that in Nehemiah where he comes forward with the vision that God has laid on his heart, and people joined in. They partnered with him. They wanted to see God build this beautiful thing. And in a record-breaking time, the wall was complete. And this is true even for our own church, if you think about it. See, a little over a decade ago, God laid on our founder's heart, Dave Elledge and Doug Osborne, the fact that this community needed a new kind of church. It needed a church for those who had given up on church. And so they came together with this vision and they started this church and they faced a lot of obstacles in the beginning. A lot of stress, a lot of weary nights, a lot of financial struggles. But because they remained true to that vision, look where we're at today. Ten years later, two weeks away from moving into the building. Now, I'm not saying the building is our promised land, the end of the journey. It's only the beginning. It's a tool that God is giving us for the next step and what he has planned for us. And our leadership team has recently met, and we've come around together, and we're more passionate, I think, than ever before that this community still needs a church for those who've given up on church. And if I did not believe that, I would not be your pastor. I'm going to be honest about that. But I think this community needs this kind of church. And I think God in this season is calling us to partner with what God is doing. Because God is doing a tremendous work in this church. And I think he's going to do a tremendous work through this church for this community. And that's what we're so excited to see. 
And it's an invitation for all of us to find ways to partner with this, for find ways for maybe for us to give or us to serve or us to take a step outside of our comfort zones, however small it is, to trust God, to see what he might have for us. Because we're all needed and because we see that the church has a purpose behind why it exists. When we started this series, we looked at how God created humanity and God created us with the purpose in mind. That we're not accidents, but every single one of us is made with the singular purpose to glorify God, to make Jesus famous with our lives. And the church itself has a similar purpose. See, when we turn to the book of Romans, Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, for as in one body, we have many members. He's talking about the church, right? He says, in one body, one church, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. Meaning he's like, not everyone is a pastor. Not everyone is an elder. Not everyone can play worship band, right? But here's what he goes on. He says, so though many are in one body and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. He says, we might not all have the same function in this body, but we've all been given gifts. We've all been given things that we can offer to be a blessing to one another. So he goes on and he says this. He says, let us use them. He's saying, if God has given you a gift, if God has given you a dream of some sort, use it. Don't like, waste it. Don't hide it. But if God has given you something that you can be a blessing to someone else in the body, then use it. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, The point he's trying to get across is he says the church is a body of believers who together invest into what God wants to build through them. You see, in this church, we're all needed individuals. This is not a place where I want us to come in and be like, hey, I'm just going to watch a show. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to hide and then I'm going to leave. But this is a body where everyone is a part of. That's why we say all the time, you know, we're a family of imperfect people who gather together to worship a perfect God. This is a family. Every one of us is needed, especially now. Right now, we're on this precipice of two weeks from now being in our new location. And God is moving in the midst of all this. God is moving us in a new direction that's rather exciting. Now, this journey, I know you're probably thinking, man, we've been in this for a while. Mason, you've been talking for about a year now about this building. And here's the honest truth. We could have gotten in there probably a lot sooner if we had hired out help and things like that, but that's not the route we chose. Instead, we chose to be good stewards of the giving of this church and to build this church with the use of volunteers rather than sending in teams of people outside of our church. That way, us as a community can be able to look at it and point and say, wow, look what we as the body put together. I mean, just this past week with all the work days, I mean, if you guys have seen our photos, I mean, Emily, I don't know, you can just go ahead and throw all those photos. Just look at the children's area, right? Like that's our like crowning jewel right now at the moment is that whole children's wing, right? And we've seen these opportunities that we're able to look at and be like, we as a body were able to contribute together to build something beautiful that God is putting together. And we've chosen that route And in two weeks, we're going to get the reward of being in there. Now, it's going to take a lot more work. We're going to get in there, and it's still going to be messy. We're going to be building this probably for the next few years. But here's the beautiful thing of that. The beautiful thing is that we get to every week see how God is continuing to build something in our midst. Now, the building's not the end goal. 
but it's a tool that God has given us, and it's something that we can all contribute in our own little ways because God is doing something in their midst. And so I want to encourage you. As we're looking at the story of Nehemiah, and we're seeing how God wants to build something beautiful, I want to encourage you, ask yourself, is there maybe something you can do yourself to help partner with what God is to building? Maybe if you give already every week an offering and things like that to help support this church on a weekly basis, maybe challenge yourself, is there something you can give to the forward fund, which is our building fund? Maybe if it's even 10 bucks a month. I mean, that goes a long way to help paint, you know, put up paint and lights and stuff like that. Maybe one thing you can do is next week, bring a Sharpie. Put it in those little buckets, the little blue and red buckets out there. Because on October 10th, we're going to do something really cool. Something you will not want to miss with those Sharpies. So you, I'm going to encourage you, maybe that's one small thing you can do. Maybe it's, hey, uh, I can't serve on a Sunday, but you know what? I can sacrifice 45 minutes of my time this week to come out to the building project or to the building and I can help paint trim. Look, not all of us can lift a hammer or do heavy machinery, but there's all something, there's something that all of us can do as well. Maybe for you, it's you need to fill out a connection card and you need to volunteer to serve an area because all of our areas are going to need more volunteers. Maybe it's the choice of, hey, instead of attending church once a month, you decide, hey, I'm going to start attending twice a month because we're all better when we're all together. Maybe one of those is you just need to decide, hey, I want to invite someone on October 10th to come and be part of that special Sunday. I mean, people in the community, I run into people all the time. They're like, what time? Or when are you guys going to be in that building? I'm going to be there. You can do the same thing. Maybe for those of you who watch online, one simple thing is just to share our videos out on social media. Get the word out about what God is doing in this midst. See, my friends, God is building something. And the easy thing the comfortable thing, the more common thing is to just sit back and enjoy the ride. But our God challenges us to take a step forward, to find ways that we can give back, find ways that we can partner together in what God is doing. This is not the end of the road for us, but this is a next step. And when we get into that building, I'm so excited because that first Sunday in the building, we're going to share with you what our leadership team has been putting together, our dreams for what the next three years of the Bluff Church will look like. I'm so excited for that meeting. I'm so excited for that opportunity because God is moving us forward into some really exciting things in the future. And we want you guys to ask yourself, how can you be part of it? More than anything, you might be like, I can't do any of that stuff, Mason. I'm not even financially able to go and buy a $2 pack of Sharpies and donate it next week. Here's something you can do. The, the thing that's the most impactful thing you can do, something I want to encourage everyone to do. What if every day for the next two weeks, you made time in your schedule to stop and just pray for the future of the Bluff Church? Well, let me tell you, that's something I've done. I've even scripted out for the next 14 days the topics I want to pray about every morning when I'm having quiet time with God to stop and just say, God, will you pray? Or God, will you do a work in this area? God, will you move our hearts? Will you make us people who hunger and thirst for you? Will you make us people who will love God and love people more in this community? You can do the exact same thing. And that will have the greatest impact on the future of our church. My friends, God is doing something very exciting. And the invitation here is to be part of it, to ask yourself, how can you give back to the beautiful thing that God is building among us? So let's pray. God, you have done a tremendous work in our church over the few years.
You've brought us through valleys. You've brought us over hills. And God, I've only been at this church for a couple of years, and I'm still shocked at all the things that have happened. You have been so faithful to this church. And so, Father, I ask that, that you would give us a fresh vision for you. I ask that, that we would be burdened to want to be part of what you're doing. Father, I ask that you would make us more like Nehemiah just in our everyday lives when we're presented with problems rather than doing what everyone else is doing. Make us instead humble in those moments and ask ourselves how we can be part of the solution that you want to bring into those places. And Father, I thank you so much for this resource, this tool that you're giving us to bring hope to this community. But more than anything, Father, I ask that in that space and in our hearts, your Holy Spirit would be moving. You'd be convicting us of sin and you would be bringing out of us a greater worship for you so that that place can be a place that we call home and so that this community would know the name of Jesus through the service, through the compassion, through the work that you're doing among us, Father. I thank you for those who have stepped up. I thank you that time and time again, you you keep calling us, you keep nudging us to, to step away from our comfort zones. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who would say yes to you, who would say that anything is worth having you, even if that means we're a little bit discomfort in this conversation, in this moment, and whatever you want us to give, make us people who will be bold for your name and for your glory so that we might see something beautiful be built for your glory in our lives. It's in your name I pray. Amen.